Welcome to Gem Girls, the podcast where we normally discuss shitty 80s cartoons with a specific focus on Gem the Holograms, the worst among them all. But this week, we're going to discuss a shitty 80s movie. That's wow, right. Wow, 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 wow. I know. Wow. What a change up. <laughs> Can we handle it? Buckle up, mother truckers. I am Orifice Jones. And I'm Hakuna Matitis. And today we are talking about the 1982 slasher film, called Slumber Party Massacre, which is the first movie in the Slumber Party Massacre franchise. Um, So there are more of them. I know, which is amazing. Which is so unnecessary, but also really funny. Yeah, totes a nest, but like soups of probes. (laughs) Um, So yeah, apart from being a B-movie that we can laugh at and with, this movie series is the only horror franchise to be exclusively written and directed by women. The first movie was written by the feminist author Rita Mae Brown and was directed by a woman named Amy Holden Jones. Yeah, and as it turns out, both of these women actually have pretty interesting backstories. Rita Mae Brown, as we just talked about, she's a feminist author best known for her autobiographical coming-of-age novel, Ruby Fruit Jungle, which also happens to be the like not-so-subtle stand-in for female genitalia in the book, which is amazing. Yeah, uh, but like, what does ruby fruit look like? And also, like, a jungle? Dude, That's it's just like... Terrifying. A, I just love the imagery of it. I'm just like, like, ruby red, jungly vines, vaginas. <laughs> They're deadly but beautiful. I don't know. I had a... That, that, that really... It spoke to me. I thought that was perfect, perfect verbiage. Um, So I have two verbiage, I guess. So Mm. I have two things to say to that. One is, um, is she saying that vaginas are like jungles? You'll get like lost in them and trapped? I think like potentially. Or, you know, you can, yeah, one, get lost in them, but they're they're yours to explore. Okay. Um, (laughs) Are jungles ours to explore? (laughs) I don't know. You know, you go through a jungle, you find some cool shit, just like vaginas, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So true. And then I was thinking, like, Venus flytraps. Are they named Venus because they look like vaginas? Oh, dude, yeah, they must be. Actually, I never thought of that. Yeah. V- also, um, Venus, Aphrodite, goddess of love, um, vaginas. So that fits. Vaginas. <laughs> yeah, Aphrodite had a vagina. She did. Famously a- so. Famously, that's all she's known for. In fact, that's all I know her for being, like, honestly, an old Greek bitch with a pussy. That's true. She also had, like, she also came in on a giant clam, which is basically a giant pussy, anyways. So, oh, true. Wow. Yeah, bitch came in on a clam. Like, what a way to enter. Yeah, clam jam. <laughs> yeah, clam OG jam for the clam jam. Exactly. OG <laughs> clam jam. But anyways, back to my girl Rita Mae Brown, RMB. Uh, she was actually a very focal, vocal lesbian feminist uh, activist in the 60s and 70s. 
But she was also very critical of the feminist movement, particularly its exclusion of lesbian and bisexual women by the leaders in the mainstream second wave feminist movement. So RMB, you know, she was a fierce bitch on many levels. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, didn't you say earlier that she, I read this factoid that she like left some organization because of les, uh, lesbophobic remarks yeah uh, les lesbophobic i think is the word lesbophobic yeah it was um no it was some it was a group specifically tied to the feminist uh, movement uh the name of it oh okay it was actually the national organization for women and betty frieden had apparently said some like not cool homophobic shit and rita may brown was like yo that is not okay if this is gonna be like about women it has to be about all women not just about women who like men yeah, but I would counter that uh, Rita Mae Brown seems to be almost anti-heterosexual. Oh, by the like, by the judge of this movie, hundred percent. Yeah, like she, she is like, that, like anti-dick. Yeah, and I was reading that she thought that like uh, the patriarchy was like, or heterosexuality was the main force in oppression, um, which is like such an intense thing to say. I mean, she's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, well, I mean, I, I, my argument being just, uh, like heterosexuality as default and the kind of pushing of all, like all, all narratives up until like maybe the last like fucking two years, if anything, if that, uh, if even now of heterosexuality being as the norm, I think kind of is a form of oppression just in the sense that it kind of puts people into boxes that you know, kind of sexuality isn't be, isn't able to be explored in quite a free way and, like, in a way that I think is a little bit more quote-unquote natural, like Wiccan natural. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely think, like, suppressing or, like, not even being aware that, like, a, a way of being is valid, um, like, is an oppressive feeling as well. You know, just, like not feeling like you could relate to anyone, not seeing yourself represented, not like having to like come out as different. Um, yeah, exactly. Really exactly. Like, that's like growing up gay is like, you know, tough in like weird ways, regardless of like, you know, your socioeconomic status, because like, yeah, you always feel like kind of different and mm-hmm. all that kind of jazz. Yeah. And like people are perceiving you to be different. Because right. Like, yeah. Like if you're like a little gay boy. Stereotypes. And like, yeah. if you're like, like if you're a little gay boy and you have a bunch of girlfriends, like people are gonna say like, oh, like what a lady killer, da 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 da. It's like, no, he is not into them. He's just a little boy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, we are on team Rita Mae Brown. To a degree, um, R and B. To a degree. <laughs> R and B. Uh, yeah, we we see you. <laughs> We hear you on that matter, but, like, the movie you made was something. <laughs> I don't know if it was good. Yeah, I don't know if it was good. I don't know how much that was Rita Mae Brown's fault as well, which we'll get into. So, yeah, um, turning to, like, the bish who made the movie, Amy Holden Jones, she was the director, um, who also had a pretty interesting backstory. Um, so she was Martin Scorsese's assistant, uh, during the filming of Taxi Driver, which is pretty amazing. And pretty he cool, handpicked yeah. her because uh, he was one of the judges on a panel where her film won an award. Oh, cool. um, so he really liked her shit. 
Um, and he liked her stuff so much that he introduced her to the producer, Roger Corman, um, who was a big name in the B-movie industry and independent film industry. Um, and she helped Corman edit the movie Hollywood Bo- Boulevard. And she was so on top of her game that she was even invited to edit E.T., but she turned that shit down to do her own movie, which is this one, Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah, the fact that it might have been a mistake. She has actually commented <laughs> on. Uh, she has said, I forget what the like legit quote is, but she was like, you know, people criticize me for doing a horror movie. But then I said to them, like, obviously they didn't see the movie because it was also a comedy, which I was like, ah, all right, Amy Holden Jones, like to a degree it's a comedy, but I, it didn't seem like it in a lot of ways. No, it didn't seem like a movie that was really winking at the audience. It didn't really seem to be aware of its own flaws the way that she thinks it was. Right. So this is why I want to get into, like, the third element of this film's creation. Because you have the writer, Rita Mae Brown. you got the director, Amy Holden Jones. Then you have this producer, Roger Corman, the aforementioned Roger Corman. So, yeah, like Jocelyn said, he was super big in the B-movie, like, kind of world. He actually helped people like Martin Scorsese and um, Francis Ford Coppola as well, like, kind of get their start. And uh, Uh, the guy who did Titanic, James Cameron. Oh, yeah, James Cameron. There you go. There you go. Um, And he also happened to hire a lot of women at the time, and that really wasn't happening. The thing is, Corman wasn't super, like, feminist about it. He was much more profit-motivated. This dude was into B-movies. He feel like, you know, he funded movies that were cheap to make and made a decent profit. And his basic approach to hiring female directors were, like, you know, they're cheaper, and let's see how they do. And the thing is, Roger Corman's B-movie kind of style did demand a certain level of nudity and a certain level of exploitation, basically. So the thing is... Yeah. Rita, Mary, Rita Mae's Brown script existed. She wrote it as a feminist satire of the slasher films. Amy Holden Jones found the script, wanted to make it into a movie. It needed to get produced by Roger Corman. And my, I, like, I think basically what happened, and there are conflicting accounts as to what exactly happened, but what seems most likely is Roger Corman was like, okay, we can make this movie. We have to make these changes making it more into a traditional horror movie. So a lot of the maybe might have been more overt feminist lesbian overtones became much more undertones and less overt and it became more exploitative, essentially. Well, yeah, and I think like all of those lesbian kind of anti-misogynist overtones, which I do think were present in a subtle way, I think they were undermined by the gratuitous nudity that couldn't be explained away as satire. Because exactly, it, it exactly. Wasn't. It wasn't, it, like, it wasn't, it wasn't. It, was, it wasn't self-aware at all. It was just like, oh, this is what slasher movies do. We're going to have a gratuitous scene where she takes off her top and like we see her boobs for no reason. Yeah. I agree, I agree. And this is, I, I think this is what makes this movie kind of interesting because it kind of comes from a you know, female-driven, female-authored feminist origins, but they kind of become skewed through the Hollywood, you know, media production machine and becomes this other entity unto itself. Yeah. And that was, like, kind of the thing that kind of was difficult for me to interpret at the beginning of the movie because you had told me it was directed by women and written by women. And, like, it just seemed very male gazy. And I didn't know, like, what gaze we were really getting. 
Oh, we're getting all the games. Uh, all yeah. the games on here. You got, you got your bears. You got your otters. You got your twinks. Uh, yeah, there you go. Bringing in like male gays um, into a feminist lesbian space, Michael. You're right. I should shut the fuck up. It's true. I should just be silent this entire podcast unless you talk, I guess. Because I have no place in it being a man. <laughs> No, please do. Please uh, thank do. you, thank you, thank you. With your permission, <laughs> now I can. Um, but so, like, to the like, getting beyond the meta narrative of this movie, like, the movie itself is described as follows: Way back in 1969, also like hashtag 69, a psychotic <laughs> named Russ Thorne. This is Michael Vieja or Villela from Wild Orchid and Wild Orchid Two, Two Shades of Blue. Haven't heard of those movies ever, but it's in the notes. Close good titles. Good though. great titles. Wild Orchid. Wilder two, two, two Shades of Blue is dope. I want Wild Orchid three. Uh Shades of Pea. Oh, okay. I was gonna go like super raunchy about it. But or Wild Orchid like Wild Orchid three, um, you know, Sunshine Burns Eternal. Ah, uh, some shit like that. <laughs> I thought it was going to rhyme with three. It really shook. Two shades of blue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's why I said three shades of pee. You're right. You're right. Yours is better. I apologize. <laughs> anyway, so. Three jars so, of pee. Three jars of pee. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's disgusting. Uh, no. So, yeah, they're uh, way back in 1969, a psychotic named Russ Thorne murdered five woman, women in Venice, California, where Trish mm-hmm. and her associates, her f- friends, uh, now live. <laughs> it's weird that it says associates there. Who to- who, who wrote, wrote that? that? I have no idea. Thorn. IMDb. I pulled it from some, somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Thorn escaped from the asylum last night, and he's on his way home even now to get back into the serial killing game. Such a hot game. Such a hot game. I also just had. To, I also just kind of want to talk about the other uh, titles of the series because we have the Massacre Films uh, series, and there's a second trilogy: Sorority House Massacre, Sorority House Massacre Two, Nightly Nightmare, and Sorority House Massacre Three, Hard to Die. Uh, and then there was also a standalone film: Sharkinsaw's Women's Prison Massacre. Uh, <laughs> Came out in 2015, <laughs> not even that long ago. I don't know what the fuck Sharkinsaws is, but I really hope it's a blend of Sharknado and Slumber Party Massacre set in a prison. I just imagine, like, Arkansas, but, like, all the people are replaced by sharks. Um, but, like, why are they in a prison? <laughs> why are they in a women's prison? I don't know. I don't know, but I need to know. We have to watch this movie. Oh, 100%. 100%. Put it, <laughs> put it on the docket. For sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, this movie, there have been many subsequent films in this franchise. Um, but, yeah, let's uh, dive into the movie itself. Let's do. Let's do. And maybe, like, like before we can officially start getting into the movie, we could also just, like, point out, because uh, this movie came out in, what was it, 1982, 1981? 1982. 1982. So let's say like Halloween, which is like known as one of the like definitive slasher movies, came out in 1978. And before that, there was a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. Last Up on the Left, 1972. Um, So this was like kind of at the time when the slasher genre was becoming solidified in its tropes. 
Uh, I don't think Nightmare on Elm Street had come out yet. I think Friday the 13th had, but it hadn't become the, you know, the, uh, the, the franchise it would. Uh, I just think it's something to keep in mind as we, like, kind of watch this movie and we do recognize a lot of those, you know, basic slasher movie tropes. Because at least at the time, they were still relatively new-ish. Yeah, I legit have no idea. You would know way more than me. Yeah, I was like, I mean, like, as I mentioned, like, 1978 Halloween came out. Like, that was the movie that, like, kind of set the genre. People started copying it after then. So it, a lot of the things weren't super played out quite yet. Okay, fair enough. So this movie starts, and to point out kind of an unnecessary detail right off the bat. Please, I need to know what you're going to say, because I'm hoping it's the same thing as me. Go ahead. <laughs> so it probably isn't because it's that stupid, but the opening credits said Michelle Michaels, and I thought it said Michael Michaels. <laughs> Dude, yeah, Michelle Michaels playing Valerie it is basically a gem style, like two first names. <laughs> She literally has, she has the same name twice, dude, Michelle Michaels. That's 100% what I wrote down too, so thank you. That's so funny. Because <laughs> I thought I saw my name, I was like, no, that bitch is just named Michelle, but like, Michelle Michaels, what? Yeah, I legit read Michael Michaels initially. Because <laughs> it's Michelle with one L, so it's True. like, huh? Yeah, um, it can easily, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's Michelle, it's Michael Michael. Um, yeah, so we open up in, um, this girl's house, um, I forget her name, frankly. Trish, Trish. Tina? Trish. Trish. Oh, okay. <laughs> Trish. Trish is, like, kind of the main bitch, kind of not really, but, like, yeah, at least for, like, the op- the movie opens, we're in, like, kind of Trish's bedroom, basically. Yeah. Uh, we get some very early on titties, like, titties, like, right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, throwing out all of her childhood toys because she's a woman now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And, like, I think her, like, kind of room does play kind of like a kid's room. And, yeah, she's removing all of this stuff. She throws away a Barbie. And she's in this very kind of, like, cute nuclear family. Uh, And we learn that the, like, parents are going away. Um, And I want to bring up just the... uh, uh, my girl Lindsay Broyles, who wrote a thesis, <laughs> who wrote a thesis for her master's degree on the pa- Summer Party Massacre trilogy. Uh, what and the fuck has our education system come to? I love it. I love it. I have an idea for another like paper on another horror movie franchise. Maybe I'll get to it at some point. I've thought long and hard about it, but anyways. Um, she has written the female authorship in the Slumber Party Massacre trilogy thesis paper. She has a lot of, like, interesting things to say <laughs> about the movie. And, um, a lot of, like, you know, I'm not, like, stealing from a bitch, but I'll, like, I'll bring her up here <laughs> and now. But this, uh, this opening with, like, Trish in her, like, bedroom, and she's, like, very much portrayed as kind of, like, a loss of childhood kind of thing. So I think it frames the movie of this is, like, a girl kind of in between that, like, women's woman stage. So she's kind of negotiating between loss of childhood enter into, to enter in, entrance into adulthood. Yeah, and they show that by, like, her pulling up her nighty to show her titties. Right, exactly. Um. Which, that's, <laughs> can you make it any more plain? She's a woman now. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, she's a woman now. She has boobs. She's getting rid of her toys. Big things. Big, big things, things, everyone. Big things. Exactly, exactly. 
Uh, and then I think, like, in this part, we meet this creepy dude, Mr. Conton. Conton? <laughs> He's so creepy, dude. Soup's creeps. I, I don't even understand. So he's basically this neighbor of theirs who has been designated by her parents to chaperone her or kind of like check in on her while they're gone. Right. And is like Mr. Conton a bachelor? We don't ever hear about a Mrs. Conton. Also, is that his name? I don't know. It's something. I thought it was contact the entire time. I was like, no, it can't be contact. So you just wrote content instead. Yeah. I I think I read it a couple of times. Like, I'm pretty sure it's content. Or content. Uh, <laughs> it was a name that was hard to wrap one's mind around. That's yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. It sounded like maybe it could be cotton, but it wasn't. <laughs> cotton. Um, so, yeah, basically, he's really creepy. And I don't know why anyone would leave him in charge of their... 15 year old daughter yeah however old she is particularly if like he's like a bachelor too and you know he it carries himself like a fucking creeper <laughs> but he's yeah he's gonna watch over shit as um the parents are away for their trip of some sorts which i guess also adds to the like lost sense of childhood thing like the parents are going away she's gonna be on her own kind of thing uh you got creepy yeah. mr Conton uh being creeper <laughs> Just like, just like you have to deal with in adulthood. Uh, I felt like every male in this movie was like a rapist. A rapist you or like I mean? a weak bitch and a half? Because the only we only have three <laughs> males really. We have Mr. Cotton. We got the bo- Diane's boyfriend. We'll get to Diane in a second. We got uh, Russ Thorne, uh, and then we have like the blonde boy and the brunette boy. So, but they were the worst. Yeah, they were like, like weak bitches. That's like what I was saying. Like two out of five are weak bitches. Three out of five are rapists. <laughs> yeah, either way, the men all were garbage and not necessary, which I guess comes into it Exactly, as well. exactly, exactly. Uh, um, so basically we learn through a newspaper headline that a mass murderer who's who killed someone in 1969, killed five people, is on the loose again. Right, right, and we actually, we also get, like, there's, like, several instances of it, of this in, like, the opening kind of, like, credits, like, scene. And there's also, at one point, this exchange on the radio where he announces, like, yeah, like, da 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 escape from whatever, da 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 And then they have, like, kind of, like, a caller contest call, and some woman calls in, and she's like, oh, my God, like, what did I win? And the guy's like, you won, like, a ZZ102 t-shirt. And she goes, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> And I kind of loved it. I was like, that is a great random aside. Hey, take it easy. What did I win? A stone ticket. $100? You won. You ready for this? Your own KDED t-shirt. Oh. <laughs> That's really funny. I didn't notice that. But yeah, basically, like, this guy is totes conspics in, like, a creepy pedophile van, like, outside of the high school Basically, like, staring at young girls and, like, seeing who he can kill next. Well, dude, like, actually, like, he gets that van because there's that scene of, like, this, like, handy woman that, like, people start calling a phone woman. And I was like, what the fuck is a phone woman? Right. Yeah, because he had, like, the two, I think, like, the blonde boy and the brunette, and they're, like, kind of hitting on her. And, and you she know, was also gay as fuck. She was like, super she was like- gay. 
She was dressed like Rosie the Riveter. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think, like, part of her, like, rebuffing the boys' advances is part of, like, the lesbian subtext that she was basically, like, they ask her, have you ever thought of, like, dating, like, a younger man? And she has said, like, I've never even thought of it. Like, get the fuck away from me. (laughs) And she's also, like, in that handyman kind of vibe. Uh, so and she's also the first kill, and she, that bitch gets drilled. So very important <laughs> to point out with Russ Thorne, he's also better known as the Driller Killer because that dude kills people exclusively with a drill. Uh, and I think it's like very easy to not even imagine, just to basically understand that the drill equals dick, like that. Yeah, he's <laughs> murdering people with his penis is what we're getting here. Yeah, with his toxic masculinity. Exactly, um, exactly. And basically, I just need to point out, like, first of all, um, Rob Thorne or whatever the fuck his name is. Russ. 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 I think Russ, Russ Thorne. Russ Thorne looks like a deranged uh, Bruce Springsteen. In oh, the sense okay. that, like, the denim on denim. Right, the Canadian tuxedo. Me, yeah, exactly. Um, he was giving me that. And then I have to also say, like, the two guys who were harassing uh, the girl are fugly as fuck. Oh, dude, they're fugly as fuck. Uh, like, <laughs> like, like, total twinks. And there were several moments where I was like, guys, just like, why don't you make out to, like, help the girls? Like, that would be a good idea. <laughs> we'll get to that part maybe later. Um, so yeah, basically we get a basketball scene at some point, um, which again, I swear to God, it was just a scene to show off their legs and those booty shorts. True. I do agree. But I also think it's important to like point out that like the first instance that we're learning or meeting the main cast of characters, like, yeah, we met Trish, but we haven't met like all the rest of the cast. Uh, all the other girls, they're introduced as athletes, you know, like they're playing basketball, they're in gym class, they're working out kind of ostensibly, which I think, you know, is a little bit more of, like, you could argue queer coding or at least male coding, because those are traditionally how male characters are presented. Yeah, that's true. Um, Yeah, these are all very physically fit independent fierce young women but they also um, suck at basketball like they <laughs> like you're watching like this is the varsity team you guys are awful i know they were at one point like dribbling so shittily then yeah. passing it to someone then dribbling then passing i'm like isn't there a time limit how like of how long you can stay in the zone and do this shit and also isn't there like, like a way to dribble and not look like an idiot <laughs> Yeah, they look so stupid. But anyway, it turns out that Valerie, the new girl, um, is the best at basketball and that the coach loves her. The coach, also a woman. Um, The coach, also, like, a huge lesbian. Oh, definitely. Um, And anyway, they go into the shower, so (laughs) it's already heating up. Yeah. Um, This scene is, like, this scene is, like, super voyeuristic and, like, it's the most exploitative, I think, in the the movie. Yeah, they're, like, talking about how, like, ooh, like, you have boobs now. And, like, the camera's panning on the butts and lingering there. Um, And... You know, here's where, like, it lost the satire for me because I was like, this is just super voyeuristic. It's objectifying, like, young, um, 
barely legal teens or not legal high school girls. And like, whatever, even if the actors are older, like that's the effect. I agree, but I think, I mean, I mean, for sure I agree. Like the, like the, the camera angles and the way it was shot for sure, for sure, for sure. Like super exploitative, male gazy. But the way the characters are talking, I think is pretty interesting. Just like, yeah, like they discuss like the other girl's boob size. And at one point, like, I don't know. There's, like, other, like, kind of little bits of dialogue where I was just getting, like, gals being gals while being, like, male-gazed, which is, like, an interesting kind of contrast just for the fact that usually in most media where there is just, like, the intense, like, um, exploitation of women, you also don't get that more kind of, like, natural element to think of, like, girls just kind of being girls, like, kind of doing their own thing, uh... So I, I thought it made for an interesting scene. And, like, some trivia to bring it up. Um, this comes from actress Deborah DeLizo. She played Kim, who's the blonde girl, whose name I only learned until she died in the movie. Uh, Wait, was she the one who was wearing a shirt that said Space Baby? <laughs> maybe she's the blonde one. I, I don't fucking know. But do you remember that shirt, though? That no, shirt I don't. I don't. I don't. That, sounds, that does sound amazing. Space Baby? Right? That's <laughs> Anyways. Like, what is that? I, I yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, or, or it's, no, Space Baby is the baby at the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey. I've never seen that movie. Uh, well, so basically at the very, very end, uh, you know, the dude has, like, a super hardcore trip and, like, sees the universe. And at the end, there's, like, I think it's, like, you see the black box that you saw at the beginning and, like, a fetus in it or, like, a little baby thing. Anyways, yeah, it's it's strippy. So, yeah, Kim addresses the nudity in the scene, saying that actually directing it was, quote-unquote, hard on Jones, the director. Uh, Jones herself describing the scene as a sort of necessary compromise to create the film, saying when you did a film for Roger, there were certain expectations, she said, I assuming to, like, nudity. Uh, and then also on the DVD commentary track, she did say that she may have taken the, quote, give the customers what they want too far by panning up and down her actress's nude bodies. So this was yeah. obviously very deliberate, this scene. Um, does it make it any better? No. Uh, but I guess it's nice <laughs> to know that the female director had uh, some misgivings about it. Yeah, I mean, but on the on the contrary, like what you were saying about them talking about like just being girls being girls and like having kind of like intimate conversations between them and then like having this super creepy camera, it could like come to represent how like the male gaze is so objectifying and kind of like ignores the other attributes women have. And didn't you find, like, kind of throughout the movie, though, like, there are a lot of these kind of conversations that girls are, like, just the female characters are having between each other that didn't necessarily, like, kind of fit the tone of the movie? Mm, yeah. Like, I, the, the, I felt that the conversations, like, a lot of, like, the, yeah, like, the female characters have with each other or were, like, kind of interesting and I was surprised to hear, like, women talk about on, like, a movie like this. And then, like, interspersed with, like, the murder scenes, it just, it, it created an interesting dichotomy. And, like, we can get to some of the conversations because they happened. And I was, like, a little scandalized. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So we have this shower scene. Um, and 
basically Trish is inviting all the girls over to her place because her parents aren't there. And um, in the locker room, she's talking to her friends saying like, listen, I think we should invite Valerie. Um, and they're just being like mega bitches. About Dude, especially it. that bitch Diane. She's like the fucking worst. Yeah. Uh, Diane needs to take a chill pill. Did you also uh, find that it was very hard to differentiate between the yes, girls? <laughs> they all kind they're of all white and thin. Exactly, they all look the same. <laughs> I like it took me a while to be able to tell the difference between <laughs> Trish and Valerie. I was like, who are you? Well, Trish was actually pretty. Oh, okay. Um, no, not Trish. Valerie. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> See. Well, I knew who the one who was wearing the space baby shirt was. Yeah, Kim, 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 Kim. Kim. So yeah, you got Kim, um, space Kim? baby. You got Jackie, who I think, I thought she was supposed to be black. Jackie was black. Jackie, Jackie. was black. Okay, Jackie was black. Um, still couldn't pick her out of a crowd, I guess, just for whatever reason. Uh, then you got Diane, Valerie, and uh, Trish. Yeah. Um, so all of them bitches are being really rude. About Valerie. And she's new. Um, Valerie's new and I guess is like kind of horning in on Diane's territory on the basketball team because Valerie's passably good while Diane's complete shit. So she doesn't like that. (laughs) I also love how like, okay, at one point before um, like anything is said, Trish is just staring so intensely at Valerie in the showers. Oh yeah, Um, there's a lot of that. they're, like, her face was just stuck on her for such a long time. And it was like, whoa, that's really, really gay. It's hot, it's hot. Um, so, yeah, basically Valerie kind of declines to participate in this party because she's heard everyone talking shit about her. And someone at one point, like, their complaint about Valerie was that she drinks too much milk. Right! I wrote that down, <laughs> but I was like, where is this from? Like, who said that into what relation? All I wrote was, like, she drinks too much milk, exclamation mark. Yeah, what does that mean? I guess they're, like, saying, like, you know, she's too tall and stuff or too strong. The I girl's drinking so. too much milk. <laughs> I mean, like, if someone, if I saw someone drinking a lot of milk, like, a lot of milk, I would probably find that weird. Dude, so would I. I would, like, I actively <laughs> make fun of people who drink a lot of milk. Particularly, actually, I'll never forget this. Me and my mom were, like, at an Italian restaurant somewhere, and, you know, we were ordering. And two, like, I mean, like, hyper white people, like a son and, like, a dad kind of thing. But they were, like, aggressively white, if you know what I mean. Like, asking, like, oh, da 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 And I'm pretty sure the, the like, the son ordered spaghetti and then a glass of like chocolate milk it might have been regular milk but me and my mom looked at each other and then looked at this fucking person and were like disgusted and like you know of course we like started making fun of them and laughed at them but it was also like who one orders a milk at a fucking restaurant and it was like a (laughs) like a fancier restaurant it wasn't just it wasn't east side mario's okay um, yeah, I and also expect like you to go to East Side Mary. No, I would never. I've only been I've been <laughs> once, but just to drink. Uh, I we, I actually <laughs> in that instance ordered food, but couldn't eat it, so just drank instead. Uh, <laughs> you got drunk at East Side Mary, <laughs> dude. Yeah, and if you order a bunch of Peronis, they keep giving you Peroni glasses. So I walked out of there with like six Peroni glasses. 
What is a pierogi glass? Yeah, peroni, peroni. Peroni is like this Italian oh, peroni. beer. peroni. Okay, I yeah, thought you yeah. said pierogi. No, that would be fun too, a pierogi glass. <laughs> um, but continue. Uh, so I'm in the middle of two separate stories, technically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the peroni when I'm done, Eastside Mayors would never go there. But then, yeah, so then... Uh, <laughs> The, the, the scandalizing element of this dude ordering milk was just like, who orders milk with pasta? That's fucking disgusting. That's so gross. He should be ashamed. I, uh, yeah. He, he, I mean, I don't know. I don't think he was. He didn't even realize what he was doing and what he was doing was bad, which is probably the most shocking element of it. Like, for I think both me and my mom were like, people do this out in the world? It's pretty fucked up. Um, yeah. I, I can't believe that. Anyone, any adult, no, anyone who drinks chocolate milk, I cannot. Like, I'm sorry. Don't feed, don't give your kids chocolate milk. That's not a thing. It's not a thing. Also, like, milk in general probably isn't that good for you. Like, don't drink milk. Are we anti-milk? Yeah. Are we an anti-milk podcast? Duh, I'm vegan. I right, hate milk. Right, I hate right, big right, dairy. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big D. You do hate that big D. Big D. <laughs> Um, I, I don't so buy anyway. milk. I only drink cashew milk, but anyways. Same. Um, so anyway, this party happens. Yeah, this party happens. Actually, I want to point out, though, before we get into, like, the slumber party massacring of the slumber party massacre movie. Uh, one, some bitch named Linda also got killed. So, like, they're, <laughs> like, before the slumber party even starts, like, people are dropping like flies. You got the handy woman. You got Linda. Um, and then we get this scene where Coach Jana, I think her name is, Coach Jan, something like that. Uh, <laughs> Jan Sport. Yeah. <laughs> Sporty-ass Jan is, uh, <laughs> she's the coach, and she's opening a door, and as she's opening the door, like, we see a drill go through it, and we're like, whoa, okay, that was kind of surprising. But behind the door is some woman with, like, you know, a very short haircut, very butch IMO, uh, kind of putting in a peephole, <laughs> and right. it, it's just like one of those things. Like, okay, the coach obviously she's pretty lesbian. She's a gym teacher. You got her friend drilling a hole. Uh, I think her name is. <laughs> I, I think her name is Pam. So like, it's also like I don't know. It's like a very Pam lesbian. is super gay. It's yeah. super gay. Super gay. Like shout Jan and Pam. Jan and Pam. Wow! 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 Uh. Yeah, like it's a, it's a JP mess right up in there. Uh, but I think I think the, I think the scene is. But I think it's like the scene is one of those elements that was written to the original script, of like showcasing like these are two lesbians. One is using a drill like the killer does, which we already know is a stand-in for his dick. So it's one of those mm. like yeah, girls can get it on too, you know. Yeah, and like put it through a hole. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You don't need to have. You don't need to be born with a drill to acquire a drill. Mm-hmm, exactly. So why are men necessary? I I have some reasons, but whatever. True, but like, <laughs> yeah, she's basically like, see, this woman is using a drill for good, and the man is using it to kill people with. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, and then uh, then we get into, like, full-on kill mode. I think the third kill of the movie is, like, some bitch who, like, can't grate cheese and, like, she's drinking wine. All I remember from this scene, 
She is some random ass woman. I think she's like the next door neighbor of Trish or something. Um, but it's just like you see, it's a very short scene. Like she's drinking wine while grating cheese. And there's just like a quick shot of the plate that she's grated the cheese on. And it is a hot mess. And it's like, yo, woman, <laughs> you cannot grate cheese to save your life. She dies shortly thereafter. So it's all good. I don't even remember that, but. Sure, another white bitch died. Exactly, sure, yeah, exactly. exactly. Exactly what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, white people can't grate cheese. Um, well, I have I no mean, basis for saying that. Italian <laughs> people can grate cheese, thank you very much. We are white, by but the way. We are ethnic white. I know, I know. It's like, I I can only fall asleep at night knowing that, Jocelyn. Uh, <laughs> but it's still a qualifier, and like, it doesn't really count. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. <laughs> You should just start saying on your resumes or cover letters that you're a person of color. <laughs> I'll have like a special stamp on them. It just says POC. <laughs> and then when people will meet you, they'll be too awkward to like confront you. About oh, dude, it. if I said it, no <laughs> one would ever question me on it. That would be the best part. <laughs> and then I could like keep lying to people. It's like, oh yeah, like I'm half Iranian <laughs> or... Uh, you know, uh, yeah, like my grandmother is black. <laughs> <laughs> Until you're famous enough where there's a huge scandal. Yeah, I mean, like, like Michael Delamonte has been lying about being a person of color for like 10 years. No, like, subtitle, no one called them on his bullshit, apparently. Well, remember Rachel Do- Dolezal? Yeah, the, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Transracial? You'd be her. Yeah, trans- <laughs> you'd be her. <laughs> but, like, better, like, somehow, because you're not, like, tanning your skin. Yeah, exactly. I'm not trying. I'm just, like, you know, using people's stupidity <laughs> against them. Yeah. Because they would sure. ask, they'd be like, oh, so, like, <laughs> what are you? I'm like, did you, did you just ask me what am I? I am a human being, sir. <laughs> No, 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 I just Surely. meant, like, like where are you from? Like, I am from Canada, thank you. I was born here. I am a citizen. <laughs> I also swear to never do that. I won't ever do that. I swear to God. That's so funny, though. Um, <laughs> if you did. Um... So, yeah, basically, like, bitches are dying even before we get into the house. But then we do get into the house. And... I don't know. Yeah, people are just sitting. They're sitting around talking and the guy gets inside somehow. Oh, actually, before that, the two guys decide they want to play a prank on the girls. Right, right, right. them a little bit. And we get this kind of like interesting scene as well because they're outside the, like, the window like looking at the girls. I think they're like all smoking weed and like eating some snacks and shit. Uh, which I appreciate. Our girls are like on the herb. Good for you, girls. Uh, right. And they like they say they're like, oh, like we should scare them, or like maybe we should kind of go in there. And the one guy says like, yo, dude, like they'd kick our ass. Uh, and he's like, oh yeah, like we like <laughs> failed gym. I just think it's like interesting because they're portraying these like two young men who are of the same age as like all the other cast as like physically weaker and like less uh, able. Or less adept at, like, physical endeavors. Right. 
Yeah, and I find it odd that, like, are these guys actually their friends? Or are they just like, oh, this is a group of girls, so we're going to follow them? Dude, it's, like, very unclear. It's, <laughs> it seems like they might, like, tangentially know them because they go to the same school. But there was no interaction with them, like, actually on school grounds saying, like, hey, Trish. <laughs> hey, blonde guy. Uh, Jeff. I mean, his name's on. His name's on yeah. Jeff. Jeff. Yeah. Um, no, but also as this is happening, we also kind of cut to Courtney, not Courtney, Courtney's a little sister, Valerie, and her little sister, Courtney, uh, which I actually think that the whole, these like little scenes of Valerie and her sister, because basically Valerie has this like, I don't know, 14 year old sister, maybe she's 13 or something. And the little sister had like said like, oh, they're having a party. Like, why aren't you going over? And Valerie's like, yo, I wasn't invited, but I don't want to go. I got to take care of you. Yada, yada, yada. But And, like, consistently throughout the movie, it cuts between what's happening at the slumber party and what's happening at Valerie's house. Uh, mm-hmm. And in those Valerie and her little sister scenes, they're, like, talking about some shit. Uh, like, at one point, Courtney, the little sister, like, goes upstairs and goes to grab the playgirl and starts, like, flipping through the playgirl. And Valerie True, calls yeah. her out and, like, they're totally cool with it. And then at another point, they're, like, having a little chit-chat, and Valerie has this line of, like, oh, like, you know, you know about boys. Like, you were beating off boys in the fifth grade. And the line is, like, a little bit, like, were you, like, beating off boys, like, you had a lot of attention, or were you, like, jacking off boys in the fifth grade? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no and I, way she meant that. No, dude, the thing is, watch that scene again. I'm pretty sure it's the latter. Because it's very suggested <laughs> that she was given HJs. Oh, in the fifth grade. He'll do. Yuck! Oh, Faker, you were beating off boys in the fifth grade. I was not, you creep! Donald is a fly fisherman and a gourmet cook. Hey, Val, did you tell Mom? Tell Mom what? About the fifth grade? I made that up. You did not? I hate you! I hate you, you creep! <laughs> Oh my god, that's so intense. Like, multiple boys. Um, Yeah, on the topic of, like, very sexual conversation, um, the girls at Trisha's house are also talking about, like, how... So Space Baby says, it's not how big your mouth is, it's what's in it that counts. Right, 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 right. Like, directly in regards to fellatio. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was just like, wow, that's... um, it's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Because, like, she could be talking about a penis, but, like, also, if you don't have a big mouth, it's probably better suited to a vagina. Right. I think I think it's more suggestive of, like, knowing what to do with your mouth is more important in a vaginal situation as opposed to uh, a penis, because, like, those are super simple. Yeah. Yeah. And well, yet some people really... still can't do it. It's, it's strange to me. <laughs> People who are bad at, like... too much teeth or something. Yeah, it's just like, dude, like, what? It's pretty fucking simple. There's, like, a shaft and a head. Yeah, two parts. Two parts. And the balls. And And, I know, I know. And, like, those are essential elements, and everyone should, like, utilize them in a multi-varied experiential blowjob. But, like, if you just stick to the first two, you could be fine. It's just, I'm still surprised that people don't. Yeah. That's this is a PSA for all of those people. Get your shit together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Learn yeah, yeah. how to suck a dick. Exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I say like um, suck a dick, I'm saying like please learn. Exactly. Um, so these guys who suck dick uh, in other ways. Yes, literal. And they're ones. just like yeah. <laughs> 
in more ways than one um their prank is to leave like a bloody doll with a cleaver through it um or at least that's what we think their prank is yeah and then like there's just like all this weird 80s shit like how one bitch is on the phone and they're spying on her on the other phone like spying on landlines i'm so glad that's not a thing dude that's fucking that's yeah exactly it's like that's a terrifying concept right uh, and yeah, I think it's, that's like, it's Diane and she's chatting with her boyfriend and they're basically making fun of her for like wanting to get with her boyfriend. Also hashtag lesbian. Uh, mm-hmm. and her boyfriend does come by and that essentially leads to Diane's death because I'm pretty <laughs> sure they're like in the garage and Diane comes back out after like, I don't know, chatting with the girls, finds her boyfriend dead. He was like killed off screen and, like, the girls are, like, blended up, like, strawberry daiquiris, like, getting their dac on, but they don't hear their friend <laughs> getting murdered. And it's funny, because Maria was telling me that she used to pronounce daiquiris daiquiris, so <laughs> if that's not proof, then, uh, what is? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and we also get this, like, interest, like, not interesting, I would say, uh, but Mr. Conton died before, like, Diane and her boyfriend, uh, and there's, like, a really weird scene where Diane is, like, in the garage again, like, macking on her boy, and then she kind of goes out, and we, like, see this, like, kind of, like, a POV shot, and you think it's the killer, it's actually just Mr. Cotton being super, super creepy. Uh, (laughs) And he, like, I don't know, smashes a snail with, like, a cleaver while Diane is, like, (laughs) grabbing some wood, and it's, again, like, Mr. Cotton, why are you, like, unhinged? Like, what happened? What happened to you? Yeah, no, that was a really fucked up scene. Super fucked up scene. Um, and Mr. Khan dies, like, shortly thereafter. He gets drilled in the face or something. <laughs> yeah. So Diane dies. Mr. Cotton dies. Um, there are a lot of cleavers and various knives being thrown around. A lot of cleavers, a lot uh, of knives. And, like, in between all these murders, like, like we discussed, uh, there's also, like, this ongoing conversation of the girls having to decide of, like, who got the runs in a baseball game the day before or something. Uh, mm-hmm. and they, they're, they're trying to like, they're, they're disputing with each other, like what player got which one at one point they call like coach Jan to like find out like who has the answer, which again, another instance of like girls talking sports doesn't usually happen. And I think like adds to the lesbian subtext. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, this is the gayest thing in the world. Um, basically because this is a horror movie and every make, everyone makes bad decisions. Um, basically, Valerie and her sister hear, like, all the screaming and stuff. And, like, there goes the back and forth of, like, should we go out? I'm going to go out. And her sister decides to go out and no, see what they're up also to. Also, not before, like, Valerie is watching a horror movie on television, which is, like, great. I, like, love the, like, you know, in-movie reference to the fact that it's a horror movie. But, like, at one point, the, like, the two boys try to bust out of the home. Because at this point, you know, the killer's made himself aware. He's killed the pizza delivery guy. They know there's a killer on the loose, everyone in the slumber party. And the, like, super weak bitches boys are like, okay, well, we'll run outside of the house. I'll go to Mr. Cotton's house. I'll go to Valerie's house. And we'll, we'll call for help. And the Mr. Cotton boy, like, he gets real dead because Mr. Cotton's already dead. And the dude at Valerie's door is, like, banging and, like, you know, ringing the doorbell. And I guess Valerie is watching, like, the, mo- the loudest television set in the fucking world. Because she don't hear a thing. No. And that blonde uh, boy and by dies. By the time she's... 
Yeah, and by the time she's like, oh, maybe I should check, like, he's gone and being murdered. Exactly. Um, Actually, that was uh, the blonde boy who died at uh, Valerie's door. He has, like, a nice cute little grass tussle with Russ. I thought that was nice. And he is the first non-drill-based death. I think he gets stabbed. Oh, wow. Let's, uh, let's make things, little blonde boy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, basically, like, the coach comes over because the girls are scared. She obviously gets murdered. Um, <laughs> dies, and, and at that dies. point, like, you know, shit has hit the fan. Like, Kim's dead already. Jackie died because, like, she checked the door and, like, bitch got her throat slit. Kim, because, <laughs> uh, like, her and Trish were, like, hiding in the bedroom. They sealed the door. But, like, Russ came in through the window and they actually, there was, like, a moment where they had him down. Like, somebody hit him over the head, and he was, like, kind of passed out. But instead of taking the time to, you know, further incapacitate him and or murder him, they decided to, like, move the stuff away from the door, to which stabbed, got, uh, Kim got stabbed in the gut uh, because she was being dumb. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of bad decision-making. Um, at one point, though, um, basically, yeah, like, there are a bunch of knives. People get drilled, whatever. And the last two standing. Well, actually, the little sister survives as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Valerie, so, Trish, uh, and the little sister. Yeah, because Coach Jan, like, she puts up a fight, you know? She has, like, a fire poker or whatever, but, like, that bitch dies. Uh, I think she's, like, the, <laughs> <laughs> I think she's the 12th kill, maybe the 13th. I don't know. Yeah, this guy was on a fucking right. Yeah, 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 he was on a roll. Um... <laughs> And it looks like everyone is, like, dead, no longer able to protect Trish. And this is when we actually hear for the first time Russ Thorne talking, because we, he has not uttered a word previously. He's only been kind of, like, bug-eyed and creepy. Um, and he says to her, as he, like, you know, has his, like, drill out, like, I love you. It takes a <laughs> lot of love for a person to do this. You know you want it. You love it. Yeah. And it's, like, very hardcore sexual assault vibes. Takes a lot of love for a person to do this. No way. You know you want it. You love it. Yes. I, I don't even know you. Yeah, and definitely, um, like, drives home the point of, like, toxic masculinity and just like women being trapped by the patriarchy and dicks. Yeah. Dicks particularly. Um, I think like, I think like, you know, that woman who did the thesis, like her main idea is like a lot of the movie is driven by the anxiety of penetrative sex. Yeah. That's probably accurate because uh, at this point, Trish hacks off. No, 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 not Trish, not Trish, bro. Trish is a weak bitch. Valerie? Yeah, my girl Valerie, she goes downstairs, (laughs) she tries to find a weapon, because, like, uh, you know, in the tool shop of Trish's house, she she, first she grabs a buzzsaw, but the buzzsaw, you know, has a cord on it, so, like, she runs all the way up the stairs, doesn't have a thing. Then she finds a machete, which I was also like, who owns a machete? But whatever, it's kind of cool. And, yeah, then you have, like, a drill versus machete battle, because Valerie comes out, battles (laughs) battles <laughs> with uh, Driller Killer Russ Thorne, and then she struts, like, you know, straight up cuts off his dick drill, and then cuts off his hand, which I was like, you know, is that, like, an allusion to masturbation, maybe? I think so. Yeah, and then, and then like, she, like, stabs him in the abdomen, and he, like, falls in the pool. 
Um, and then everyone thinks it's like all good. And Trish is like, I don't think Trish is out there right now. I think Courtney's are in the mix. But regardless, we got a final scare. Russ Thorne pops up out of the pool, out of the pool, and he like lunges. You know, I think he like kind of like attacks some people. This is where Trish has a real weak bitch moment because like, he comes out all ready to stab a guy, but then like immediately gets just like tossed aside. I was like, Trish, come on, you. You really failed. Wait, doesn't she stab him? Does she? And then cries? No, I thought, no, like... no, 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 no. I, like, I have it written down right here. Like, there's like a whole, there's a nice impaling scene because like what eventually happens is Russ oh, yeah. jumps on Valerie, but Valerie like extends the machete to like impale a guy like dick reversal style. Um, but Trish is being generally useless. Yeah, that's so true. Interesting. Yeah, Valerie really was the hero of this movie, even though like. You know, yeah. Didn't give her the time of day. They didn't. They didn't. And I, I thought that was an interesting part too, because like Trish is made to be out kind of the main character in the beginning, and you think she's gonna be the final girl, but then, you know, Valerie kind of gets reintroduced and becomes like the true final girl in a sense, because she actually kills the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to bring back our thesis friend, the impaling part, as she says, is female survival in this context requires the adoption of male brutality. Wow. wow. And it's also shaped like a dick. And it's also shaped like a dick, so like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, but I also, like, the, and the movie then ends there with the surviving characters, little sister Courtney, Valerie, and Trish, all crying, and then it just goes, it rolls to credits, which I thought was also kind of interesting, because a lot of times in horror movies like this, it ends on a more hopeful note, or it's like, you know, the, like, the final girl kind of crawling herself out of whatever pit she's in. Maybe it's like a love interest that she walks away into the sunlight with. This is much more ending on like them destroyed by the trauma that they experienced. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, recognizing that they went through something horrific. Yeah. And like rape really does fuck you up. Um, the patriarchy kills you. It, uh, yeah, don't matter a bitch. It was a drill to the face. <laughs> And then dramatize you if you survive. Exactly, exactly. Um, um, so I, I relate to that. Yeah, exactly. So I have some, like, general, like, what the fuck's with this movie in terms of, like, loose plot threads and, like, what was happening there. My first one being, what was, like, Russ's or whole vibe with, like, packing bodies in containers? Huh. Because, like, he packs a bunch of bodies in, like, a trunk at one point, like, counts them. I thought it was kind of creepy. Then you have that scene where Courtney and Valerie are, like, checking on Trisha's house to see if anything's going wrong. And everyone's dead at this point, so they, they don't actually find anything. But Courtney's opening the fridge, and, like, the blonde girl, Kim, like, plops out. And you have a kind of a comedic moment where, like, Courtney looks away. She doesn't see the body. And then she closes the fridge again. But then she opens it again. The body falls over again. Regardless, my main question was, like, why did he put Kim in the fridge? Like, why do we even put that blonde girl in the fridge? Yeah, that, that is a good question. I mean, like... Maybe to be sneakier about it, maybe to like, I don't know, still add some suspense, like maybe no one has died. Um, yeah, maybe. To freak them out a little bit more. Maybe, but maybe. I don't know, there's probably a deeper reason uh, touching on dicks and vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> you always gotta touch on dicks, it's true, you always gotta touch on dicks. <laughs> Uh, like maybe the container is a vagina, but I don't know. Right, 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 um, right. And then there's also like just like another thing was um, 
when Valerie is like in the house checking on things, I'm pretty sure there's yeah there's a part where Kim is still alive and Trish is like in the bedroom too, and they're like, you know, they're discussing amongst themselves like she'll be like call out, like what if he's still around? We need to warn her, and then Trish says something to the effect of like, well, what what if she's like in on it with the killer? And it was like, why would you think that? Like, what? Why would yeah. you think this girl's like in on murdering everyone with this like psychopath? Well, maybe it's like one of those internalized misogyny things. They like saw her as a threat, even though she was just one of them. Like they saw her brawn as a threat, and like this guy who is actually a threat to them and who actually wants to hurt them and use force to do so. Um, goes undetected by them and kills them all. Yeah, yeah, that's um, true. That's true. I, I I thought like maybe it was like an instance of, you know, like male violence or male control, kind of like pitting women against each other, as happens. Yeah, I mean that too. That's a part of it, right? Right, right, right. right. Um, and like maybe if they didn't, if they didn't hate Valerie for their own inner internalized misogyny, um, then she would have been able to save them. Because, I don't know, sisters have to stay together. Yeah, you gotta be gal pals. Right? <laughs> you can't be gal enemies. Yeah, exactly. No, no gal foes. Only just gal pals. <laughs> gal foes. <laughs> lady foes, um, lady foes. Lady foes. <laughs> <laughs> um, if this were a normal episode of Gem Girls podcast, I would obviously give the title of baddest bitch to Valerie. Oh yeah, you'd have to, you'd have to. But like, who gets the weakest bitch? There's a lot to choose from. Oof, I would say maybe like one of the two boys. I think the two boys together boy. should be get it together. I think like they were a duo. They were super weak. Even together, they were super weak. And I think oh, yeah. they should be the weakest. Yeah. I feel like together, like, the women, like, fought for their survival and, like, were stronger. And, like, the two men together were, like, like canceled each other out or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was actually, I think that's another, like, theme of the movie is just that, like, together, like, the women were stronger, um, you know, playing basketball. They were, like, an effective team. And any at any point in the story when they're actually, like, together, working together, they're, like, safe. And it's only in the instances that they either, like, try to go fuck a boy or run off on their own that they get murdered. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, like in spite of this movie actually not being that great. No, we did. We made it sound, I think deeper than it was maybe. (laughs) Yeah. I think we uh, gave this movie maybe too much credit. I think, but I think like it, it was still there. I do like, it's just, again, it's like one of those weird things that like, we can talk about these things, but unless you watch the movie and you watch all the like hyper violent murders, it um, <laughs> you like the message. I think you can get lost because it's like, oh, this is also some bullshit. Yeah, it's a whole lot of bullshit, and the acting was fucking trash. Oh, yeah, like, of course. The dialogue was usually terrible, and but you know. I liked it. I had a good time. Yeah, with it. I had a good time with it. I thought Russ Thorne was like a fun villain. I thought it was interesting. He didn't have a mask or anything. Usually in slasher movies, they have like a mask or something creepy. Well, he looked like an all-American guy. And he had a drill. And he had a drill. <laughs> Just like your average dad, right? It's true. That's true. They all got drills. Ready to drill you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'll take an average dad with a drill right now. Like, what's up? Send him my way. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, like, having a dad drill you sounds a lot better than <laughs> what it would actually be. Right, that's movie. true, that's true, that's true. Um, but yeah, with all of that said and done, we're at the end of our discussion of this movie. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Gem Girls Podcast. I'm Hakuna Matitis. Uh, and I'm Orifice Jones. And as you know, find us on the social meds or go to our website, gemgirls.com or just Gem Girls Podcast on the social meds. And then uh, rate us and review us. <laughs> Five stars, positive review. Five stars only. Exactly. Mm. Thank you. That's our policy. Uh, <laughs> and I guess until next time, when will next time be, Jocelyn? We're in between seasons. Yeah, um, it's whenever we damn well feel like it. Damn Skippy. Damn Skippy. Uh, but until next time, stay, stay outrageous. outrageous. <laughs> we kind of got I it. think that one was all right. <laughs>